Well, let's see. Uh, had an election this week. Um, and, you know, I, feel, I felt to me a little bit like, uh, you remember when the, we, we changed millenniums, the year 2000, and, and we were all prepared for an unbelievable disaster? Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, you know, here it is Sunday, and we're still gathering for worship. And last time I checked, Jesus is on the throne. And, you know, and uh, I think the, uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we just need to do what Tim told us to do a few weeks back, and, and that is uh, pray for our elected officials, whether that's a, a governor or a senator or a president or what have you. So let's continue as, as people of God to be obedient to the Lord and pray. Just pray, right? Yeah, okay. Um, pray with me now. Father, we, uh, we thank you that we have the freedoms to come together in this room and to worship you. Man, there are so many of your children that don't have that freedom, Lord. Let us not take it for granted. Uh, we thank you that when we come here and pray to you, we can ask you to speak to us, and you do. We pray that that would happen this morning. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises. And I, in particular, Lord, thank you for the people who lead us, and they have the gift of being able to sing and, and to play. It covers up the fact that I do not, and I just thank you for that. It's just beautiful to enter into your, your presence, and thank you, God, that as you are here this morning, you will guide and speak and challenge and encourage, and that's what we ask you to do. For we ask it in the name of Jesus, our King, the King upon the throne. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. We're continuing in our series of digital living. And uh, what we're doing is we're going to take some time to look at what it means to follow Jesus in a world that is more and more and more influenced by and connected by and directed by and driven by uh, digital technology. Today, we're going to pay particular attention to how this reality sort of shapes our use of time. Uh, 2,000 years ago, a man named Paul, he was an apostle of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and he was leading the early Christian movement, and he wrote these words to the Christians of his day, the Christians living in the uh, city of Ephesus. He said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This week, I was looking at that passage and reflecting on it and thinking about it, and I realized that Paul actually had a great deal in common with us, with the ethos of our day. He would have been, I think, totally on board with this tech-savvy, ever-googling, you know, we've gone mobile and we're not going back culture that we're in. Notice he says, live as wise people, making the best use of time. So there's something about wisdom that's connected to this idea of making the best use of time. What Paul is actually talking about here is efficiency. If you stop to think about it for a moment, efficiency is one of the major drivers in the march of technological progress, this thing of efficiency. Mark Zuckerberg said this. He said, the thing we are trying to do at Facebook is to help people connect and communicate more efficiently. And as we all know so well, it's not just communication that technology has made more efficient. It's so many other areas, things like travel, things like learning, things like shopping, uh, searching for information, much more efficient online than it ever used to be. Even vacuuming. You ever seen this thing called the Romba or the Roomba? Maybe, you know, 
goes around and vacuums while you're not there. I don't think it works, but I mean, you know, it's kind of fun to have one. But, uh, you know, uh, technology helps us be more efficient. Easy is the more technologically sophisticated we become as a culture, the faster we're actually able to create new technologies. And that means we're efficiently creating new efficiencies faster than any other time in the history of the human race. And so if ever there was a day where we were able to make the most of our time, it ought to be now. It really should. And that brings me back to the words of the Apostle Paul. When he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. I have no doubt that Paul would have loved our technology, at least much of it. Uh, He would have loved the high-speed internet. He would have loved the availability of gathering and getting information, the speed of communication, global connectivity. He would have loved the speed of travel that we have today. But notice what comes first and what comes last in the verses that we just read. Paul actually bookends his instructions or his command. It's really a command around two really, really important warnings. Verse 15 at the front end, he says, look carefully. Then how you will walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And now on the back end of what he says in verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish. He's repeating himself. He's saying the same thing, but in a different way. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And as we think about following Jesus in the 21st century, I submit that those verses are critically important. Paul was a great advocate of efficiency. But he he also understood that our ability to be efficient came really at great risk because what was true in that day is all the more true for us, namely this, that it's possible to to be efficiently moving in the wrong direction, especially with the technologies we have. Say that another way, it's possible to be engaging our technologies but to be using them towards the wrong end. This happens often. To be moving in the wrong direction, there's a true story of one man's life that kind of illustrates this in, I think, a rather profound way. Some of you may know or have heard of this guy, Fritz Haber. Fritz Haber. Kind of looks like Dr. Evil, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it kind of does. But his name is Fritz Haber, was Fritz Haber. Haber was a German man who set out to solve one of Germany's biggest problems in the early 1900s, which was, how are we going to feed the population? Current agricultural methods weren't keeping pace with the growth in the numbers of people living in Germany, the numbers of people who needed to be fed. There just wasn't enough food. And the result of his ingenious efforts was a breakthrough that quite literally changed world history. For the first time, Haber figured out how to pull nitrogen out of the atmosphere, which enabled him to make fertilizer. Fertilizer. Uh, Bill Gates has tweeted out that two out of every five people on earth today owe their lives to fertilizer, humanly speaking. (laughs) Well, Fitzhaber took the technology of the day and he leveraged it to do something really great, really wonderful. He used it to make fertilizer, more crops per acre, more people fed. But the story also has a darker side. Later in his life, Haber developed another product using the same technology. He invented a gas that would be used to kill tens of thousands of soldiers in World War I and literally millions of people in World War II. He invented the gas Zyklon B. 
Ironically, Haber himself was a Jew. He was forced to leave Germany in the years leading up to World War II. What makes this story at least fascinating to me was the fact that we see both the blessings of technology and the curses of technology right there. He's the father of fertilizer. He literally fed the world. He's also the father of chemical warfare. He literally set in motion those things that enabled human beings to murder millions of other human beings. One man, one mind, two technologies, two tools. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You see, it's possible to efficiently be moving in the wrong direction. Now, likely for you, the temptation around technology is not toward chemical warfare, I hope. But it could be toward something else that kills the soul. Something like pornography. You know, we live in a world where sexual experiences are just literally a click away. It's very efficient, but it also erodes the soul. It damages the soul. Uh, or it could be towards something like, like an addiction towards video games or TV, using those things to self-medicate or gambling or online shopping. There's a long list of things we could list. These are all efficient ways to escape what's really going on in our lives. But these things, every one of them comes with a price. They damage your soul by deadening your spiritual nerve center by making you less sensitive to the people around you, less sensitive to the God who is also around you and with you. You see, friends, the challenge that's actually facing our world today, perhaps contrary to popular opinion, it's not laziness, it's not lack of motivation, it's not lack of brilliance, for goodness sake. The challenge facing our generation is rather one of direction. We will move somewhere efficiently, guaranteed. Technology has ensured that. We're not going back to a pre-technological society. The question is, will we efficiently move in the right direction? That's the question. And in the time we have left this morning, um, that's what I want to focus on. Paul talks about this here in Ephesians 5 when he tells us to make the best use of the time. What he's saying is be efficiently moving in the right direction. And I want to suggest that doing that Moving efficiently in the right direction or making the best use of the time requires three things. So let's talk about those three things. First, we must get really, really, really clear about our purpose. This is just fundamentally important. I met with a guy one time who had visited our church for uh, a number of times, and he was curious about Christianity, wasn't a Christ follower himself, but he had some questions that he wanted to discuss. And I'll never forget one of the questions that he asked me. We'd been talking and we'd been talking about the implications of putting your faith in Jesus. And then he, at one point he said, well, what exactly, Dwayne, are you about? What, what exactly are you about as a Christ follower, as a Jesus follower? What exactly do you do? It was a great question. He was starting to rightly perceive that if he committed his life to following Jesus, his whole life was going to change. It wasn't going to be the same. His purpose for living was going to change. His goals in light of that were going to change. His time commitments were going to have to change. His priorities were going to have to change. 
What a great question. What exactly are you about? That's a purpose question. If you claim to follow Jesus, you have to answer that question if you are going to make the best use of your time. If you are going to move efficiently in the right direction, that's a question you have to wrestle with and a question you have to be always answering. And Paul understood this. And this is why when he writes to the Ephesians, he says, understand what the will of the Lord is there in verse 17. That's another way of saying, get your head in the game. Be intentional about this thing of following Jesus. Figure out who you are and what your life is supposed to be about. Stop drifting spiritually. Stop living life as if you have time to burn because guess what? You don't. You don't. Your days like my days are numbered. Make your life count. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Is. Paul says in Ephesians 4, this is the chapter just prior to the passage we read, he's been talking to them about what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? What does that look like? What is that about? And so he says this uh, in Ephesians 4, he says, if you follow Jesus, stop dinking around. Only he uses different words. He says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Our old self fools us. It lies to us. It moves us in wrong directions. He says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. It's a mind thing. It's a mind-heart connection here. He says, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put that self on. Dallas Willard uh, used to like to define the kingdom of God as the range of God's effective will. It's where what God wants done is done. That's the kingdom of God. And when Paul says make the best use of the time, he's saying live with the awareness that you are in Jesus' kingdom. You are first and foremost a citizen of that kingdom. And so if you are a realtor or if you're an electrician or if you are a doctor or a homemaker or an engineer or a teacher or even a pastor, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Your purpose, first and foremost, is to do what you do as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom. Do what you do for his glory, not your own. Have Jesus' priorities as your priorities. Pour your resources, pour your time, pour your creative efforts, pour your talents and your skills and even your use of technology into understanding what the will of the Lord is and doing it. That's your purpose. And we need to get clear on this and stay clear on this and remind each other of this, our purpose. It's advancing the kingdom of God, representing Jesus where you live, in what you do, and in how you do it. And that is making efficient and purposeful use of your time. And that is what Jesus did. And uh, this is what we do when we follow him. Jesus was teaching one time. Uh, he'd been talking about a lot of our daily essentials, things that we need, things that concern us, always concern us, things we need every single day, food, clothing, shelter, stuff like that. Jesus was assuring his followers that God knew what their needs were and that he would take care of them. That's what Jesus was encouraging them to understand. And then he uttered these words, remarkable words. He says, so do not worry. Why would he say that? Because that's what everybody does. That's what we do. We worry about these things. 
And we sometimes think it's up to us, it's up to me to, to take care of these things. But he says, what, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for pagans? Pagans is a word that kind of shocks us when we hear it, but it was, that just meant somebody who didn't know Jesus. That, that's all that words mean. They don't, they don't know Jesus. They don't follow Jesus. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, Jesus said. Talk about clarity of purpose. And Jesus lived this out. He didn't just talk about it. He lived it out. He always sought the kingdom first. And even when it meant his own death, even when he understood that bringing the kingdom meant marching steadfastly to the cross to die for you, to die for me, to pay for our sins, to come back from the dead. You know, it's so interesting to me that when he pursued, when he sought first the kingdom, what was the result? Well, one of the results was his death. And thank God the story doesn't end there because it also resulted in his life. And you know, the same is true for us when we seek first the kingdom. It can result in our death, dying to self. But it actually results in life. Now, friends, I realize that following Jesus' example is easier said than done. Um, in the world we live in, there are all kinds of purposes that we, we give our lives to. Here in Denver and in the suburbs, we like other purposes, purposes that have lots of appeal, lots of allure, purposes like personal wealth or personal power, personal prestige, personal honor, personal safety and security, personal comfort. But friends, none of these things in and of themselves are necessarily bad. They only become bad when we make them the purpose for our living. Those things are actually gifts from God if he gives them. But they're not reasons to live. They're not the purposeful reasons around which we organize and prioritize our lives. And so again, the question remains for us, what exactly are you about? Do you have clarity on that? Have you drilled down on that question and answered that question? If we want to be efficiently moving in the right direction, we have to answer that question. And we have to be really clear about our purpose. Are you clear about your purpose? That's number one, I think. Number two, if we are to be moving in the right direction, if we're to make the best use of our time, we have to pay attention to kingdom opportunities that are around us. Let me explain. Go back to our passage there in, in Ephesians. When Paul mentions time in verse 16, he uses a Greek word that's kind of a nuanced Greek word. It's the word kairos. Kairos is a moment or an opportunity when God's kingdom purposes are at play, okay? It's different than the, the word chronos, which is the other Greek word, which is more talking about one o'clock, two o'clock, you know, chronological time. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a moment with possible profound impact or significance. It's a kairos moment. Make the best use of your kairos, he says, of your opportunity that's presented to you. A moment when we become aware that God's kingdom is breaking through into our day-to-day -day experience. And as we think about efficiently moving toward the kingdom in our tech-savvy world, we have to pay attention. This is his point. We have to actually be on the lookout for kairos moments, moments where we can seize 
the opportunity to step into God's kingdom and to use our skills, our abilities, and our technology to do good, to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, believe it or not, this photo represents one of the cutting-edge technologies in the ancient Greco-Roman world. It's obviously it's a Roman robe. In the first century Roman Empire, these roads were actually the first of their kind. They were a new technology. And I'll tell you what, they revolutionized Europe. They stabilized the empire. They made it possible for armies to move quickly, to stabilize things when they needed stabilizing. They made travel and commerce more efficient. They stimulated economic activity. But the Apostle Paul, the leader of the Christian movement at that time, looked at these roads and what he saw was Kairos. There's opportunity here. He looked at those roads and he was clear about his purpose and he used this technology to bring the kingdom to represent Jesus all over the empire. And it's because of these roads that the good news of Jesus made its way throughout Europe. You could say that our church, Deer Creek Church and every other church for that matter, exists because of this technology. Those roads allowed the spread of the good news about who Jesus was. You know, a more contemporary example of this I read just recently has to do with the Syrian refugee crisis, which if you have actually followed this or, or looked at what's going on, I mean, wow. It's, I know it's laden with all kinds of issues. You know, are there terrorists among them and so on? And yes, I'm, there are. And, but I mean, when you look at the Syrian refugee crisis, when refugees leave Syria and they arrive in another country, um, a good many of them arrive in Jordan. That's where they go. They're registered in an electronic database. First time this has ever been done to the, on this scale. And instead of being given handouts like cans of food or blankets or things like that, which may or may not meet their needs, they are being sent electronic vouchers by phone. And they can use these vouchers at an ATM machine in the refugee camp. They redeem it as cash. And the ATM machine actually confirms their identity using a technology that scans their, their eye right there on the spot so that the, only the right people are getting these vouchers, getting this money. So instead of getting handouts of stuff that they may or may not need, now they have the ability to use these resources to buy exactly what they need right there in the refugee camp. It's pretty cool. And it's all possible because someone somewhere, whether they even knew it or not, uh, said, I'm going to take the technology of today and I'm going to efficiently meet a huge need, a need of people in crisis. And that, friends, is bringing God's kingdom into a difficult, painful, life-upsetting situation. And that's looking for kairos, looking for opportunity. How can I serve? How can I use what is mine to serve others? And I know there are people in this room uh, right now who God has given you ability, the skills, the gifts to create this kind of technology that can advance God's kingdom, that can advance good and oppose evil. Well, you just need to know that that is making the best use of your time when you work toward that end. For some of you, uh, you've got to get clearer on the connection between what you do in the marketplace and how your work there advances the kingdom of God. You diminish the importance of what you do because you don't understand that one of the chief ways you can give glory to Jesus is through serving him right there where you work in the marketplace. And you need to get clearer about that. 
You've got to recognize kingdom opportunity. That's a kairos. Uh, you know, for you, that could mean developing new technologies or applying old ones to new situations. But as you do that, know that you represent Jesus there in your sphere of influence. And if that's you, you know, I, we want to encourage you. We want to say the church needs you, the kingdom of God needs you, uh, the movement of God needs you. So keep working, seize the kairos, use the technologies you develop for his glory for the good of the kingdom. Now, for others of us, we're not gonna develop many new technologies. I was in the Apple store uh, not long ago and I was <laughs> standing at the Genius Bar. And a woman came in and, oh man, she was mad. She was so ticked. This new iPhone she had wasn't working. And, you know, I mean, she, just, you, she was frustrated that she had to even be there. She had to wait a few minutes. When the genius came over and started asking her, what's the problem? She started describing it. And he says to her, when is the last time you charged it? She hadn't charged the dang phone. <laughs> this woman's not going to be creating any new technology. Now, we can laugh. We can laugh, but, you know, most of us are right there with her, aren't we? You know, how many times? You know, so not all of us have those gifts or those abilities, but we certainly use these technologies, sometimes poorly like she was, but we use them, and we can use them to efficiently move in the right direction or the wrong direction. And for us, we need to be careful to do the former, move in the right direction. We too must recognize the kairos, the, the opportunities that are out there because of these technologies we hold in our hand. We need to figure out how to efficiently move in the right direction with our tools. Some of us just need to pray about this in order to get clear on it. Lord, help me. Help me remember to charge my phone. You know, Lord, help me. Help me use my life, my time, my work, and my technological tools for your glory, to leverage your kingdom, to efficiently move toward the good that you desire for this world. So God, show me the opportunities. Make me aware of what those opportunities are. Again, opportunities to use technology to bless others. Maybe you're like me this week. Uh, I found myself standing in line a few times and instead of waiting or wasting my time, what I'll do a lot of times is I'll, I'll get out the solitaire thing. I, it's mindless. I like playing the solitaire game or what have you. Or um, I'd be lying if I said I go to Facebook to check it out. But I know a lot of you do that. Uh, but instead of doing that, I thought, you know, uh, I'll just pray. God, who in my life can you bring to my attention uh, that needs some encouragement? Uh, who needs to be reminded that they're loved? How can I leverage your kingdom with this incredible device that sends messages through the air in ways I don't understand at all? What might that look like, Lord, for me to use this device effectively for you? Quite honestly, uh, some names came to mind. And I realized God wanted me to invest a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of time encouraging these people. So I texted some, I called others. And that might just be, you know, a couple of moments, but to, it's, it's looking for the kairos. It's looking for the kingdom opportunity. How can I use what's in my hand to bless others, to bless this world? Guys, if we prayed that simple prayer, God, who in my life needs encouragement today? If we prayed a prayer, that simple prayer like that, uh, whether we were sitting in an office or standing in a line at Starbucks or whether we're caring for patients at a hospital, whether we're working and wiring up a new building or caring for children at home, if we would just ask the question, Lord, how can I be a blessing? to others, we would get better at identifying the opportunities, the Kairos moments out there. You agree? That's good. 
Third thing, okay? As we learn to live more efficiently, given the world and the technologies we have, we have to trust that the time we've been given for our purpose is enough. Now, let me explain why I put this in the, in the mix here. You know, recent studies have actually shown that despite our technological efficiencies, we feel like we have less time than ever before. In the research that's been done asking people, people express the fact that they feel like they have less time, less time to get everything done they need to get done. And that causes more stress and more anxiety in our lives. So researchers have found that our efficiencies in technology have actually created more work for us to do than less. For example, over 50% of emails now are read on a mobile device, a smartphone usually, versus a desktop computer. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means where we used to say, wow, I need to sit down, turn on my desktop computer, find out who's been emailing me, and email back. Instead of doing that, I now do that all day long on my handheld device. And uh, we, we don't, uh, so instead we're constantly on our phones, 24-7, checking emails, texts, Instagram, Snap, uh, Snapchats, and, and things like Facebook postings. We do it 24-7 now. And so today when it comes to work or pleasure, we are, so to speak, always available. We're always on, always in some sense working. And for so many of us, that feels like I, I just don't have enough time to get done what I need to get done. In John chapter 6, Jesus again is talking to uh, about his kingdom purpose. And he says this, he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will. Again, that's that clarity of purpose, right? But to do the will of him who sent me. So there's a lot of things I could do, a lot of things I might want to do, but I'm, I'm really here to do his will, Jesus says. There's never been a human being more efficient than Jesus when it came to living out his purpose and sticking to his purpose. But you'll notice if you read through the gospels, Jesus is never hurried. Uh, Jesus is never rushed, even when people's lives were at stake. He was never anxious Instead, he lived with this deep sense of trust that the time he was given by his heavenly father was enough. I mean, he knew that God would not call him to a life he did not have time for. And at the end of his life, Jesus is on the cross. And as many of you know, his last words were, it is finished, which is just another way of saying, I've done the work I was sent to do. And I say all that to say this, this truth about Jesus' life, the way he lived his life, the rhythm that we see in his life is loaded with permission for us. It really is. Permission to give our best energy, our best innovation, our best technologies, our best efforts toward God's kingdom work. But at the same time, and I know there's tension here, but at the same time, it gives us permission to stop and to rest to Sabbath, to unplug, to not think we have to accomplish everything. Think about this. When Jesus was here on earth, did he fix every problem? No. When he was here on earth, did he heal every sick person? No, he did not. Did Jesus feed every hungry person? We know that he didn't. Did Jesus solve the problem of poverty when he was here on earth? 
No, he did not. But he did what needed to be done. He fulfilled his purpose here on earth so that one day, one day, all those problems will be fixed because of what Jesus did. But in his mission and in his ministry and in fulfilling his purpose here on earth, it wasn't to take care of every problem. Sometimes we live like we think it's our purpose to full, you know, fix every problem, make everything just the way it's supposed to be. You see, this gives us permission, observing the life and the rhythms of Jesus. It gives us permission to unplug, to understand that we too, we have a purpose. We need to fulfill that purpose to honor God. We need to pursue that, but we also have permission to rest. We have permission to trust the heavenly father. He's given me enough time to accomplish what I need to do. To give us permission even to unplug. You know, some of us are in circumstances that really pressure us, really cause us to ask why. I've got some friends who I know are in situations where they're looking for work. What do you do with that? Hasn't God made a mistake? I mean, isn't that a disaster? I mean, shouldn't you be productive? And I mean, what is God doing? And I'm not fulfilling my purpose. Well, you know, yeah, you are. If you're searching for work, you are. You're trusting, you're having to trust. I mean, that's hard stuff. I mean, you're processing a disease, a problem. Well, what's, well, does God have a purpose in that? Are you fulfilling your purpose? Your purpose at that point might be just to, just to show what it looks like to walk with God through very uncertain, very difficult circumstances. I mean, this rhythm in Jesus' life gives us so much permission. This means we can even leave our phone at home, think little things like that. It means that we can not check our emails for a short time. Not maybe a month, but you know, maybe three weeks. But it means that we can remember whose work it is we're doing. It means that we can use our technologies and not let them use us, which is important. We have time to be still and know that he is God. That's purposeful. What's true for Jesus is true for you and me. God has not called us to a life we don't have time for. And that ought to give us peace. That ought to create shalom when we read this, when we understand this. Maybe today, for some of you, your prayer just needs to be simply, God, remind me of my purpose, that first thing that we talked about. God, remind me to open my eyes and see the kairos opportunities. That's the second thing we talked about. Or maybe it's just a, no, Lord, it's your work I'm called to do. Help me know the peace that comes when I surrender and I say, I have enough time. Um, I'll just end with this. There's a woman named Catherine of Siena. It's so funny to me that she wrote these words because these words sound like something somebody would write today, but she wrote them 500 years ago. 500 years ago, she said, if you are what you should be, that's the key. To be what you should be is that person who has clarity about their purpose, right? Yeah. If you are what you should be, you will set the whole world on fire, she wrote. That's true. If we are what we should be, if we know our purpose, that's going to change how we work. That's going to change how we love. That's going to change how we communicate. That's going to change how we use our technologies. If you know your purpose and if you look for kingdom opportunities, kairos moments in the midst of what you do, you don't have to create those moments. You just look for them. 
And if you rest in the knowledge that you have been given all the time you need to accomplish your God-given purpose, you'll be a person of shalom, of peace. You'll stand out. That'll look different, trust me. You'll go through life without rushing. You go through life making better decisions about what the priorities ought to be. You go through life without living a hurried, frazzled life. I'd never have enough time, you see. What she says is true. If you are what you should be, you will set the whole world on fire. Our lives will matter. That's sort of what she's saying. So that's all I got this morning. I could talk about other stuff if you want me to. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you've given us a purpose. For some of us, God, we need to discover it. We need to get clear about it. We thank you that you give us all kingdom opportunities. For some of us, for many of us, maybe for all of us, God, we just need to get better at recognizing those kingdom opportunities. The fact that we represent you right where we live, right where we work in all that we do. And you've given us technologies that enable us to efficiently seize those opportunities. We recognize, God, that you call us to make the most of our time. And may we do that, Father. May we set the whole world on fire simply because we are what we should be. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.